This is Floyd Hughes, pastor of Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. I just wanted to share about my new book, Act Like an E-Christian. The E stands for evangelical. And despite what you may have heard, evangelical Christianity has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the reason the body of Christ exists, sharing the gospel. My book, a devotional based on the book of Acts, prayerfully encourages Christ followers to return to our evangelical roots of sharing the gospel with folks in our circles of influence. It's available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle, and you can pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, As we talk about Memorial Day and take the time to remember those who sacrificed, um, whenever we get to Memorial Day, especially depending on what the nation looks like, I always have this question in my head. Do the people who sacrificed their lives for this nation, if they were to see the way the world is right now, right, and the way our nation is divided right now, I wonder if they would be like, yes, that, that's, that's what I gave my life for. This is, this, is, this is why I took those bullets or died or whatever. Or would they look at our nation right now and be like, what in the ham sandwich is going on? Because this, this is not what I gave my life for. Uh, most of the people who gave their lives on behalf of our nation did so so that our nation could be united. That's why it's called the United States of America, so that we could be united, so that we could stand together. But that's not kind of where our nation is right now. Um, in the book of Exodus, which we've been walking through, Uh, God wants that same level of unity for his people. And what he does is he uses his word to unite the nation, right? So if you have a Bible, open it up uh, to the book of Exodus chapter 24. And like I said, even though we're on chapter 24, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to wind down uh, this, this entire study of the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 24, this is what it says. Then he, this is God, said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. And and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu would have represented the priesthood. Aaron was going to be the one who God proclaimed as a priest, and his sons would take the priesthood after that. He says, you're to worship at a distance. And that word worship means to kneel down and to to, to bow and to pay homage to God. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord, and the others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded, and make sure you underline this and um, highlight it, put a heart around it, whatever you need to do, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. So the response to God's word and to God's laws 
It wasn't division. It wasn't anarchy. It wasn't chaos. It was unity. So then Moses built an altar. Uh, he sacrificed an animal. And then turn over to, drop down to verse 7. This is what it says. Then he took the book of the covenant, which is what they called everywhere he wrote down the law, and read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And then in verse 8, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. So um, God uh, had uh, the, the Jewish representation, or excuse me, the, the religious representation, uh, the elders who would have represented the government, the elders who would have represented the government, and Moses who would have represented the leader of the nation, all come up, and he made a covenant with them. Right? It was a contract between God and the people of God, and the people said, yeah, we're going to obey everything that you said, everything that you called us to do, uh, then we'll obey it. And verse 9, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against the elders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate, and they drank. They literally saw uh, God, the physical God's presence. Now, the people didn't. They saw something different. We'll get to that in a minute. But the elders, uh, Moses, and then Aaron and his two sons, they literally saw God. And we're told that they didn't die. God didn't kill them because God was allowing them to see his presence despite their sin in order so they could all literally like sign the contract, the covenant between God and his nation. And then they worshiped and they ate and they fellowshiped together. And this is a picture of what it's supposed to be like, for one, for us, the people of God, but also in eternity that we'll, we'll experience and see the presence of God We'll fellowship with him. We'll worship him. And because, you know, we like to eat, we'll eat with him. But then it says this uh, in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. So he says, hey, you guys, now we've signed this contract. We're, we're in this covenant together. But Moses you need to come up and you need to stay here. You need to spend some time here. Because if you're going to lead the people of God in a godly way, in accordance with our contract, they're going to obey it, then you need to spend some time with God. And the same is true for pastors today, but not just pastors, for the people of God today. This is what Jesus tells us, that, hey, if we want to be people of God, we need to spend some time with him. In the book of John, stay in Exodus. We're going to jump back there in a minute. Um, this is what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. This is the amplified version. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, that stops bearing, he cuts away, trims off, takes away. And he cleanses and repeatedly prunes every branch that continues to bear fruit to make it bear more and richer and more excellent fruit. In other words, he says, hey, uh, if you want to bear fruit, right, you need to spend time with me. Because if you're not bearing fruit, 
then what Jesus says, not what Floyd says, what Jesus says is that God's going to cut you off. He has no need for you. He's going to remove you because you're, you're just dead weight. You're not doing anything. But if you are bearing fruit, then he's going to change you, transform you, clean you, trim you, do all these things so that you can continue to bear fruit and more richer and more excellent fruit. And then he says this, to the disciples, he says, you are cleansed and pruned already because of the word which I have given you, the teachings I have discussed with you. So just, just so we understand this, Jesus says, if you are spending time with him and you are spending time in his word, then you are getting pruned. You are getting prepped. You are getting prepared. You are getting, you're, you're getting ready to be the person that God says, I'm going to use you more and more, and you're going to keep bearing fruit and keep bearing fruit and keep bearing fruit. But if you're not doing that, then you're not bearing fruit. And then he says this. He says, dwell in me, I will dwell in you. Live in me and I will live in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit of itself without abiding in, being vitally united to the vine, Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him bears much abundant fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I'll share this. When I was stationed in Panama, right, I, didn't, I didn't speak Spanish uh, when I got there. Uh, and you're supposed to take a mini immersion Spanish class that the army, because I was there uh, in the army, so the army gives you some basic, like, they just kind of, uh, uh, I think it was three weeks or a month of just daily, several hours Spanish classes. So you kind of get used to being in this new culture and have a language to where you can communicate, whether it be at the store or gas or in an emergency, all this stuff. Well, when I got there, for whatever reason, um, I didn't end up taking the class for like three or four months. But because there was no room on the base for me to live, I ended up living in downtown Panama. So I, because I was living in downtown Panama, all the neighbors around me were Spanish, all the stores were Spanish, no one really spoke a lot of English, and so I kind of learned by trial by fire. I had no choice. If I wanted to get gas, I had to learn how to speak Spanish. If you're on the base, there were English-speaking people who could, all the stores, all the gas. But while I was living downtown, everything I had to do, so by the time I actually took the mini-immersion class, I was like a step ahead of everybody else because I had enough Spanish that I could live, so to speak. My, my Spanish was like, if you hear someone and they say you speak broken English, I was speaking broken Spanish. By the time I finished the immersion class, I was fluent. And because I continued living downtown, I think for the whole first year, I, I could speak even better Spanish. Literally, and I kid you not, my dreams were in Spanish. I could dream my dreams, my thought, everything. They were in Spanish because I knew the language so well, because I was spending so much time around Spanish-speaking people and speaking Spanish to them, and they were speaking Spanish to me. And it, it, it was just normal in my head that, yeah, that's the language I speak, except when I'm at work on base, that I speak English, every other time, it's Spanish. And the same is true of what Jesus is saying here. The more time you spend with him, then the more your responses, the natural responses, the way that you react to things, the way that you think about things, the way that you dream about things, are in line with his will and his word. 
And when I left Panama, I thought, this is great. There's so many Spanish-speaking people in America. I'm finally going to be bilingual. I'll be able to talk to people. I ended up getting stationed in Maryland. There was not a single Spanish person around. And within, like, months, I, I could barely speak like a three-year-old. And right now, there, I, I probably know enough to speak to a two-year-old. That's about it. Because I'm not using it, I'm not around the people, so I don't think like that, I don't speak like that, and the same is true of God. If we're wondering how come we're not being more godly, we're not doing things in a more godly way, our natural response isn't more godly, it's because we're not spending as much time with God. When we do, when we immerse ourselves in him, then our responses will reflect him because that's who we're around and that's who we're spending time with. All right, jump back to, uh, we're at verse 13. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait for us here until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in the dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire. So that's what they saw. They saw just this raging fire. Have you ever seen like on the news and they show, hey, there's a building downtown and it's on fire and you see the top floor is just smoke and fire coming out of it. That's what they saw. That was what they saw. But when the elders went up, they literally saw God and the feet of God and what he was standing on. But then it says this, then Moses entered the cloud. And as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Here's the deal. God wanted Moses to spend time with him because God knew that in order for you to lead the people of God, then you have to, again, the immersion thing, you've got to be immersed with God. You have to spend time with God. And this was all new to them as an entire people. Even to Moses, this was new. So in order for him to correctly share the word of God with his people... He had to know the word of God because if he didn't, he would lead them astray by leading them into something other than what God had commanded. Now, I bring this up because let me share this with you. Um, Mark Berkshire, you guys know Mark. Uh, we had a conversation, actually, shameless plug, I know, but uh, we, the latest episode of the Faith Responders podcast, it's on Apple, iTunes, and then our website. In this last episode, we were talking about, uh, what's it called? The rise in false doctrines, right? There are all these new doctrines that are popping up in the church, I'm not talking about outside the church, in the church, and they're leading people away from God. Now, Consequently, we also, Mark and I, both um, take part in a live stream uh, with Faith Pittsburgh that Mike Granovitz leads. And over the last couple of, I think, episodes of his live stream, including the one we did on Friday, we were talking about, again, all of these false doctrines that pop up. And in both of those conversations, and I've said this numerous times throughout, here, my response was this, uh, the reason why we have all these false doctrines is because of the pulpit. It's because pastors 
aren't teaching the Word of God. If we were correctly teaching the Word of God, then people wouldn't be led astray. They would know, oh, that's not what it says in its Word. But I also blame the pulpit because pastors aren't, they're not spending time with God. And just like we talked about, if you're not spending time with God, then your responses and the way that you see things, it's not going to be a godly response. It's going to be whatever you reason in your head makes sense. And a lot of these doctrines that are coming up are ones that people reason in their heads that make sense. So pastors aren't spending time with God. They're thinking, hey, uh, I heard this in seminary, and it's backed up by these three other professors who have multiple degrees so they must be right, and God must be wrong. And they're sharing that as this is truth, and it's not. Now, at the same time, I said I blame the pulpit, but I also blame the people. Because if the people were reading God's word, and then they heard a false doctrine or something that didn't line up with God's word, they'd be like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on a second, hold on a second. That's not what that says. That, that's, that's not truth. That's not what the Word of God says. Let me give you an example. Some, a lot of you guys know my son, Brandon, right? He doesn't listen to this, so I can talk about him. Um, if someone said to me, and a lot of you guys see his post, right? But if someone said to me, hey, Floyd, your son, Brandon, was put in jail for harassing and berating some woman in the, in, in the supermarket, he just started yelling and screaming at her and attacking her verbally, and he got arrested and put in jail, I would be like, no, that's not true. They were like, what do you mean? No, that's not, I, I know Brandon. That, that is not Brandon. I don't know if it's true for all Brandons. It seems to be, but they're all kind of laid back and just, you know, and they all have man buns too. So it's just the thing. It's just, he, he's, he's not the aggressive type. I know him, that's not him. If they said, hey, Floyd... Your son, Brandon, got put in Facebook jail. I would be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's Brandon. And I'm surprised it took so long for them to do it because, yeah, I've seen his post. That makes perfect sense. And, and the same way some of you, you know your family members, you know your children, and if someone said something about your family member or your children that they said this, you know them well enough to say, that's not them. That, that doesn't make sense. That's how we should know the word of God. So when you hear a message or a sermon or a video or whatever, and someone says, this is what the Lord says, we should be like, that, that, that's, that's not what God's word says. That's definitely not what God's word. I don't know who said that. I don't know if it's true or false. I'm not judging you, but that's not what the word of God says. We should be that familiar with the word of God. Now, let me share this. A couple of years ago, two years ago, uh, we started a series called The Pastoral Letters, where we started walking through 1 Timothy. And I think in the fall, we're actually going to pick that up and walk through the book of Titus, uh, which is one of the pastoral letters, and then later to 2 Timothy. But when we went through the book of 1 Timothy, um, we stressed this, and I'm stressing it again, because this is the very first thing that Paul says to Timothy, okay? Uh, this is what he says in verse 3. So verse 1 was, hey, this is the, the Apostle Paul, and verse 2 was like, grace to you. Then he immediately jumps into this and says, as I urged you when I was on my way to Macedonia, stay on where you're at at Ephesus in order that you may warn and admonish and charge certain individuals not to teach 
any different doctrine. That word doctrine literally means another truth. So he was telling him, hey, hi, how are you? Grace and peace to you. But this is, this is the next important thing I have to say other, before I say anything else. Hey, you need to warn people, and this is in the church, not to teach any different doctrine or not to teach any other truth. That's how important it was. He goes on and he says, in order to give importance and occupy themselves with legends and fables and myths and endless genealogies which foster and promote useless speculations and questionings rather than acceptance and faith of God's administration and the divine training that is in faith. And one of the reasons he did this is because people were, 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 were devoting all their time and attention to people who were talking and speculating Rather than talking about God's truth, speculating and, and genealogies and a lot of the false doctrines that are coming out, uh, uh, and I've seen this and maybe you've seen this too, people talking about, well, why should I believe the Bible when there's the gospel of Thomas and the gospel of Jude and the gospel of this? And I have, I have three or four history professors who say that this is the way it was and that Jesus had a girlfriend and a wife and that uh, there, there's this whole denomination that believes that, you know, Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. And they're, 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 again, this is in the church. Paul is like, hey, that's hogwash, for lack of a better term. And he goes on and he says, the object and purpose of our instruction and our charge is love. This isn't about power. This isn't about money. This is about loving people enough to not let them get led astray by something that isn't true, right? And then he goes on. He says, but certain individuals have missed the mark on this very matter. Now, uh, he doesn't say this. But he's using a twist on words because that phrase, miss the mark, is the definition of sin. The word sin literally means miss the mark. You miss God's mark. And without calling them out, he's saying, hey, there's certain individuals, they're in sin because of this. Because they're teaching a truth that is opposed to the word of God. And here's he says, they are ambitious to be doctors of the law, teachers of the Mosaic ritual but they have no understanding of the words and terms. And that's true. There are people, and I, I, I'm not trying to call them out, but it makes me upset. There are people, and I've seen this in the pastoral groups that I'm a part of, and I can't say who it was because then, you know, I'm not trying to call them out, but who say, well, I don't believe that the whole Bible is the inerrant word of God. I was like, well, which parts do you believe? This, this, and this. Well, how do you know that's true and who gets to say but these are pastors of our churches today. And the reason is, is, is and this is why uh, uh, Mark and I, both on all the podcasts we've been in and part of a live stream, we've said it's important to teach the entire Word of God. Lots of people just like to teach the New Testament because it's great and, and, and it's about Jesus and all that stuff. But every single book of the New Testament either references directly by verse or makes a reference to the Old Testament because it's the foundation that it's built upon. And if you don't understand the foundation of the Old Testament, then you can't really grasp 
the New Testament. You can't really understand what sin is and how we're separated from God if you don't understand how important it was, that whole event that took place in the Garden of Eden, right? You can't understand that, that although uh, Jesus says uh, the law hasn't been taken away, but it's fulfilled in me, and that doesn't really make sense to a lot of people unless you fully understand the law. Like we've been talking about how God was trying to say, hey, you're to be a holy nation and separate, and you're supposed to have rules and treat people differently. And all of that is based on what he revealed to the nation of Israel. So all of this, all of this, um, just to say that it's so important, which is why God spent the time and said, Moses, you've got to come spend some time with me. All of this is so important that we spend time with God and that we understand his word so that we're not led astray by all the false teachers, right? There is no one that's going to fact check all the religious posts that people put on Facebook. They can just put whatever and say, this is the gospel truth. No one's going to fact check it. Facebook isn't going to say, hey, we fact checked this and this is incorrect, so we're not allowing it. No one's going to do that. We've got to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, let me share this quickly. Um, also, um, when we finish this series, we're going to spend a few weeks walking through the book of Jude. It's just one book. I forget how many. It's like 20-some-odd verses. Uh, it's really short. But one of the things, just to give you a preference, one of the things that Jude writes, Jude was the brother of Jesus, and this is what he writes, and this is me summarizing it. We'll get to it in a couple of weeks. He says, I was going to write to you about salvation, but it was more important that I address the false teachers in the church. He, he says, hey, um, I was going to write to you about salvation because salvation, that's the reason why the church exists. We're here to share the gospel. We're not here for any other reason. We have one job. But Jude says this is more important because he understood that, hey, you can't have a true salvation if it's based on the false doctrine. And there are a whole lot of people that think they have this relationship with God, but they don't. They have a relationship with the pastor. They have a relationship with their denominational affiliation. They have a relationship with all these other things, but they don't have a relationship with God because they weren't given the word of God. They were given some human understanding of this is who I think Jesus is. And then um, he says this. Uh, he writes, I urge you to contend for the faith entrusted to the saints. That word contend means to struggle and fight for. So from Jude's perspective, hey, salvation, important. I was going to write to you about that, but it's more important that I write to you about you fighting for the truth. And that's what, that's, that's what we need to do. So uh, you remember how Moses read the book of the covenant and the people said, we'll, we'll, we'll obey? I hope you do. It was like 10 minutes ago. So yeah, hopefully you guys remember that, right? So that's what I want us to do. This is how we're going to end. We're going to wind down uh, with us making a covenant with God to which, hopefully, we all say, yeah, uh, we agree. Um, now, the covenant that he had was based on 613 laws, right? The, the, the civil laws that said, you know, here's what's morally right, what's morally wrong. Uh, the ceremonial laws that said, here's how you are to worship God, and here's how the sacrifice ought to occur, and here are the feasts. And then the cultural laws that were only relevant because they were living in that time, in that space. So like, uh, you know, 
you can only go to the bathroom outside the camp. And some people say, well, that, that's still relevant to us, but only to the military. I've been in the military. We used indoor plumbing when we could. All right, so that's not what that's saying. It was basically saying, hey, respect the space because we're all living together and, and use the bathroom outside the camp, right? So those 613 laws, and then God revealed them. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago uh, as the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that he gave to the people, the first four had to do with worshiping him. No other gods before him, no idols, and they're not just graven images that you make, but ones that you create with your mind, uh, ones that you put people up on pedestals to worship. We're not supposed to do that. No misuse of God's name. Not just saying, don't use his name in vain, but also don't claim things in the name of God that God hasn't given us the authority to do, which is why those people who teach a false doctrine are sinning, but then most importantly, spending time with God. That's what the Sabbath is all about. It's not about you got to do this on a certain day, but yeah, work six days, but remember, spend time with God. The other six are about how we interact with each other. Honoring your mother, your mother and father because the family unit is the central portion of, of, of the nation that God created and of the people of God, which is why we're still referred to as the family of God, even in the New Testament. No murder, which doesn't include uh, just killing people, but also uh, Jesus said, if you hate them in your heart, you've murdered them already. No adultery, no stealing, no lying, and no lusting. It's typically saying no, no uh, coveting, but none of us use that word in our everyday language. It literally means to lust after something that my neighbor has. And if I'm doing that, then I'm not content with what God has given me. Right? So um, all of those 613 laws uh, represented in the Ten Commandments, which Jesus said are represented in just two simple rules. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. So... I didn't do a sacrifice, so I don't have blood to sprinkle on you. Uh, so I do have a water gun filled with blood. I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't. That would be so cool. It'd probably go viral. Anyway, so here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. Right? And, and, and again, not going to ask you to raise your hand, and you can just say it softly to yourself. But if you commit to these things, then we just sound off, and we will say amen. So the first one is, and let me explain it before you say Amen. We commit to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, body, and soul. And before you say amen, that means we commit to put God first. That means I'm putting God above country. That means, yes, I'm putting God above family. But that also means that I'm expecting God to allow me through his Holy Spirit to love other people in a way that reflects his goodness and grace and mercy. So if we commit to do that, will you just say amen? Second one is we commit to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And let me explain that one because Jesus made it crystal clear. It's not just the people that look like us. It's not just the people that vote like us. It's not just the people that live next to us. It's sometimes even the people that we hate, don't like, and just can't see why in the ham sandwich they think the way they do, but we still have to love them anyway. So if we commit to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, just say amen. For those of you watching online, yeah, Robert, <laughs> Stacy, Martha, all of them are already typing amen, amen. And here's this last one, and let me explain this one as well. We commit to contend for the faith entrusted to the saints. That means that we commit to 
spend some time with God's word. It's going to look different for all of us. Some of you guys, you like to read, so you'll spend time like reading God's word over. I know Bobby has read more versions of the Bible than I have. That's great. For some of you, it may be reading books that other people wrote about the word of God or devotionals. For some of you, it may be spending time and praise and worship with God, but whatever it looks like for you, that you commit to not only spending time with God in his word. For some of you, you're the prayer warriors that literally pray without ceasing. That's great. Whatever that looks like for you, you commit to spend time with God so that you can protect and defend the word of God. So whether it be me, whether it be Mark, and Mark, I'm not speaking out of turn. Mark and I have had this discussion. If any of you hear any of us say anything that doesn't line up with the word of God, pull us aside quickly and say, did you just say, and, and can you help me under, don't, you don't have to be aggressive, but you can say, hey, can you help me understand where you're getting that from? And Mark will tell you, he and I, we don't agree on every little thing. There are lots of things theologically that we disagree on, and we're like, we'll probably still be having that discussion up in heaven until Jesus sits down between us and says, here's the way it is, which is okay, because we're going to love one another no matter what. But we must contend for the faith. We have to protect the Word of God. We have to stand up when people say things that are not in line with the Word of God and say, that's not true. And I'll share the story as we close, because I heard... Uh, I know, you guys are standing. Bear with me. Uh, we talked about this on, on, on the live stream or on the podcast. I forget which. There was a pastor who was making this statement and boldly, and all the people were following it because it sounded great that everyone goes to heaven. No one goes to hell. And if you do go to hell, it's only for a short time, and then you're welcomed into heaven no matter how much you sin, no matter how bad you are, which really just says that Jesus' sacrifice was worthless. But rather than call the pastor out, he called the pastor on the phone and said, help me understand where you're coming from, because maybe we just are not understanding what you're saying. And then once he explained what he was saying, he said, yeah, you're wrong. And that's what we have to be willing to do, to stand up and say, hey, I'm not trying to call you out. Help me understand where you're coming from. But if it doesn't match up with Scripture... It's not from God. So if we agree that we're going to commit to contend for the faith and trust it to the saints, then say amen. amen. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we pray that you would give us the strength that we need, the wisdom that we need, the spiritual authority that we need to stand up for your word. We pray that we as the people of God would first and foremost, as your word says, love you with all our heart, mind, body, and soul, with every aspect of our being, that we would show our love to you because you are worthy of it. We also pray that we would love our neighbors. And again, Lord, sometimes we may need your Holy Spirit to guide us in that because some of these people are just crazy. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us, equip us, Allow us to speak the words that your spirit gives rather than responding in our own spirit so that we may show them the love, not that they may deserve, but that you want them to see. 
And we pray that we would contend for the faith that you have entrusted to your people, that we would stand up for your word, that we would defend your word, and that we would prayerfully spend time in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.